The scripture reading this morning is found in Matthew chapter 27. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 to 32. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort to him. And they stripped him and put a red cloak on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the cloak off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they compelled to carry his cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. As we open up your word, speak to us in a new and fresh way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the setting here, the setting is that Jesus is being crucified. Jesus of Nazareth, he was under arrest. This was about 2,000 years ago. And he was standing um, before the Roman governor. And he, he was arrested because he was saying that he was a king. And under Roman nation law, you cannot say that you're a king. The Jewish religious leaders believed that it was blasphemy to say that you were of God or the son of God, or if you spoke sacrilegiously of Jewish worship. So here's Jesus bound, standing before the Roman court. He was found innocent by Pontius Pilate. But in order to appease the people, as a politician likes to do, he's condemned him to death, and not just a quick, easy death, but a long, torturous death. Even though Jesus did many miracles on the street, proving that he was a son of God, he told everyone, he did beautiful things, he loved on people, he didn't do anything wrong, he never hurt anybody, yet here he was being brought before the Roman court and being charged with treason. Something we can take from that. One, righteousness convicts unrighteousness. This is a, if, if this is something you can remember in life, I remember having a college professor say that. He said it often. Righteousness convicts unrighteousness. When you are desiring to live a righteous life, when you want to do what is right, when you want to say what is correct and holy and true, you are going to bring condemnation on yourself. People are not going to like you for it because you're, just, you're wanting to act and live in a holy way. And if you want a desire to walk a godly life, for no apparent reason, people will hate you. If you say that life is sacred... And it's sacred in the womb as well as outside the womb. People are going to hate you. If you, if you declare that a certain sexual acts are immoral, they're going to despise you. If you voice that there are only two types of people that God made, male and female, you're going to be called a bigot. 
Righteousness convicts unrighteousness. Jesus was being brought before the court. He was hated. He was spit on. And we're going to read a little bit more about this later because he only desired to do what was right. And people hate that. So don't think that you can skate through life and not be persecuted or hated. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 21, Now brother will betray brother to death, and and a father his child. And children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Have we not seen great division in our country lately? Satan, the enemy of the church of God, the enemy of us, wants to cause division in our life. Jane and I lived in Venezuela for many years, and they had a political system there that turned socialist, turned sour. People started turning against their own families for political reasons, never mind religious reasons. And people were asked to spy on their neighbors and on their own family members. And we saw a church that we attended in, in, um, in Venezuela. We saw a church that we attended where the, the pastor, who was a very dear friend of ours, and his parents and his family, they broke up and turned against each other because of political reasons. How much more is it going to get because of moral reasons? So don't think that Satan is not active in now, nowadays in our, in our society. The first two people in the world, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, the first two people. Satan got in there to divide them between them and their father. You say, oh yeah, that's, that happens. Well, guess what? The second two people, it also happened. Cain and Abel, their sons. And they divided against each other and Cain killed his brother Abel. Why did Cain kill his brother Abel? Because his acts were more righteous than his own. That's why. It started from the beginning and it has carried on through life, through eternity, and so it goes. The Bible clearly teaches, for all have sinned. For all have sinned. There is no one that's any more holy than the other. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. In Romans 5.10 it says, But while we were enemies of God, not that we just had broken fellowship with him, the Bible says in Romans 5, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And we just sang that in many of these songs. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So God sent his son into the world to reconcile us to himself, to tell us about him. Jesus came into the world to tell the world. I've talked with so many people in the street that have said to me, oh, well, if God would only show himself to me uh, or he would show us a sign, then I would believe. And I love to respond with, God did that. He did send his son into the world to tell us about him. You know what we did? We killed him. We killed him. 
So don't say that if God sent, he did all his part in this. He sent his son in that while we were yet enemies, God sent his son into the world, knowing that his son would be killed by those he came to save. God desires to have a loving relationship with us and to forgive us. And he proved it by sending his own son. The soldiers here in this praetorium, they, they took Jesus and they gathered the whole Roman cohort. So this was a lot of men. And these weren't small men. These men were huge. These were Roman soldiers. And they knew how to inflict pain. And they, what they do? They stripped him and put on a, a red cloak on him. Now, 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah says he was oppressed and it was afflicted. And yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. So Jesus stood there naked. And they found this red or purplish cloak, and they put, him, put this on him, and then they made fun of him. They mocked him. He was led like a sheep. And it says the Roman soldiers led him. And I believe every word in God's, in the Bible that we have, is, for, is there for reason. There are no wasted words in God's word. He was led by the Roman soldiers to the praetorium. Isaiah said he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. What they do next? They stripped him. So let's look at the parallel here. In the Genesis story, way back in the beginning of the Bible, we see Adam and Eve, and they were naked. They were perfect. They were holy. But then they broke fellowship with God, and they saw their nakedness. And what did God do? He clothed them. He took an animal. He killed it. He took the skin from this animal, and it says that he fashioned clothes, and he clothed them. This is what God desires to do for us. The world is going to strip you of everything. The world wants to strip you. But God wants to clothe you. And we see that way back in the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3. The Roman soldiers, they stripped him. It says then, uh, in Genesis 3, I'd like to read that one, that one verse. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves coverings. Many times when we sin... We want to cover our sin by saying it's somebody else's fault. It wasn't my fault. I have some issues. Or we try to cover up our sin thinking that nobody else, if I do it in the darkness of my room, then nobody else will see it. We try to cover up our sin by doing good works because if I do enough good things, then God will accept me. All I have to do is go to church on Sunday. All I have to do is say the right prayers. All I have to do is, is give the right amount of money or serve in the, on this committee. And all I have to do is this, and then God will accept me. But that's not scriptural. We can't make fig leaves to cover ourselves. God sees through that. 
God has to be the one that takes the, the clothing, the sacrifice, and cover us. It's God's work, and we see that right in the beginning of the Bible, and he wanted to make sure that we all know that through all the history of the years of the, the Bible being written and into our day today, God wants you to understand there is not anything that you can do for your own salvation. The soldiers put this cloak on him. In some translations say it was red. Others say it's purple. This shouldn't bother us. Because red and purple are simply very close colors. You just add a little blue to the, to the red dye and you're going to get purple. Purple is actually a picture of uh, royalty. And red is actually a picture of blood. So this shouldn't bother us because different people can look at the same color and see a little bit different um, color from it. Because you're going to have a lot of mockers who say, well, you know, the Bible says this over here and says this over here. And they mock you. They're mocking God's word. They think if they can find an error in it, then they are going to be guilt-free. And they will be able to stand before God someday and say, well, you never told me this. Verse 29 says, and after twisting together the crown of thorns, they put it on his head. So here they are mocking him. They're beating him. They're ripping the beard from his face. They're hitting him. And then they take these thorns, these horrible thorns. And you know what it feels like to have a thorn in your foot or your hand. And they fashion a crown because they want to make fun of him. Oh, he's a king. Let's make a crown for him. And they fashion his crown and they jam it on his head. And then they mock him. So let's see where that comes from. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 again. Then Adam said, because um, God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I commanded, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. With hard labor, you shall eat from it all the days of your life. Verse 18. But thorns and thistles shall grow up for you, and you shall uh, eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat the bread until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. See the thorns showing up in Scripture here? The ground was cursed, and up from the ground came thorns and thistles. This was a picture for Jesus, for those who look upon the cross to see this crown of thorns. This is a picture of him wearing, and I mentioned this last week, wearing the curse that came into the Garden of Eden. In front of everybody, here he is wearing the curse in front of everyone. You can't make this stuff up. People who, who say the Bible isn't true or, or that there's, you know, it's a bunch of old white men that sat down and, and wrote it in order to deceive the masses. I heard that many a times in my life. But there's no way you can do that with this word, God's word, if you really read it. And back at the passage, verse 29 They put a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and beat him on the head with it. Where does this come from? 
Isaiah 42, 1 to 4. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the streets. A bent, got this? A bent reed he will not break off. And a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice on the earth. And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. There's so much in this passage. We don't have time today to unpack it. But think about this. A bent reed he will not break off. Here, the, the writer is saying they put a reed in his hand... Oh, he's the king. And they mocked him. When Jesus grabbed that reed, when he had it in his hand, you know what he was thinking of? He was thinking of you and I. We're the reed. We're the ones that struck him that day. But you know what? It says here, it says, a bent reed he will not break. He knows that we're bent. He, we, he knows that we're, we're, we're broke. But God will not break us. He loves us so much. He will not bring us to that point of breaking. We are that reed that struck him that day. And I am sure that upon in his heart and mind, he was thinking, these are the people that I love. These are the people I'm dying for. As a reminder, the Romans thought, the soldiers thought, this bent, we'll take this reed and we'll put it in his hand and then we'll strike him with it. And he is being struck for our sin, for who we are. And what's he say? In Luke 23, 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots and divided his garments among themselves. Here, Jesus is being beaten. He's taken on the punishment of others. And he would not strike back. He will not break the bent reed. Instead, he says, Father, forgive them. How often in your life has somebody struck out against you? Do you, Father, do you find yourself saying, Father, forgive them? Or do you talk bad about them? Or do you hate them? Or do you devise evil against them? Or do you plan wicked ways against them? But not Jesus. He was holy and perfect. The world is quick to take your clothes off, to strip you of your peace, your dignity, your joy. But God is quicker to clothe you and to restore you. Verse 31, it says, in our passage today, we see, and after this, they mocked him. Blessed are you when people mock you, it says in Matthew 5, 11, and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is in heaven, and it is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they're going to persecute us. So don't be surprised. In fact, we're told that we can rejoice in it. It's not easy when we're going through difficult times. Jesus warns us not to be surprised when the world, your neighbors, your co-workers, your family members, and others treat you with disrespect. Unkind words, hatred, lawsuits, and the like. Don't be surprised. Righteousness convicts unrighteousness. And there's one last little passage here that I, that, that I found very interesting. 
a little known man found in the crucifixion story that I believe should be mentioned. His name is Simon, Simon of Cyrene, which is modern day Libya. It says, and when they had led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene. He was coming in from the country and they placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. Now, this is one little passage of scripture, and I do not believe that there's one dot in this Bible that is not there for a reason. So who is this Simon of Cyrene? You know what? We don't know. We don't know anything about him. This is a guy who was coming in from the country. He's out in his gardens. It says that he was coming in from the country. He was from modern-day Libya, but they call him Simon of Cyrene. And he sees this crowd. He's like, what's going on? I wonder what's going on. It says he's coming in from the country. He doesn't know what's going on. And so maybe he worked his way through the crowd, and a Roman soldier says, you, carry his cross. See, a Roman soldier was under strict orders that a inmate or a persecuted one should not die before the crucifixion. Or they would be beat in his place. They were told not to allow a condemned person to die. So they would beat him with 40 lashes or 39, save one, so that he would not die. Because they knew that this was, he was right at the point of bleeding out and dying from the beating he took. They saw this. And a Roman soldier said, you, and pulled Simon out of the crowd. Now, Simon has no idea basically what's going on. Well, he knows that it's a crucifixion. He gets through the crowd and he sees these the Roman soldiers. He sees these condemned men, three men that day, Jesus and two thieves. And all of a sudden, a Roman soldier tells him to carry his cross. He has no say in the matter. He can't say, dude, you know, I was just coming from the country. I don't have the right clothes on. You know, you don't say that to a Roman soldier because you'd be the next one on the cross. So he goes and he lifts the cross off Christ and he carries it. Picture this. This is not scriptural, but picture this. Ten steps up the road. People in the crowd have no idea whether Simon of Cyrene was innocent or he was just one of the accused. Because he's carrying a cross. So they're in the crowd and they're looking at this guy and they're like, oh, here comes another one. And what do they do? They spit on him and they throw rotten vegetables and fruit at him. And Simon's like carrying the cross. I didn't do anything. I'm just carrying the cross. But the people don't know that. And they mocked him and they threw things at him. This is not biblical, by the way. This is how my mind works. I'm just trying to picture ahead 10 steps from where Simon is carrying this cross. I just know what I would have been like if I was in that crowd. I would have thought he was one of the condemned. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And Jesus says in Luke 9.23, this is a key verse. Listen up, it's pretty important. And he was saying to them all, if anyone 
wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up what? His cross daily and follow me. God is asking something of us that is actually beyond our strength. God is asking of us to pick up the cross and to carry it. So what does that look like? What does it look like? We are called to carry, us men who are married, we're called to carry the cross of our families. To be the one to take the beating. To be the one that, that as men, we are called to stand up and work hard and take care of our families and, and um, protect our families. We are told to forgive those who have sinned against us. And like Simon of Cyrene, we're being asked to carry a cross to follow in Jesus' footsteps. And if you carry that cross, people are going to mock you. Oh, you're a wimp. Oh, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're weak and you need religion and you need God and Jesus. When you don't strike back, people are going to treat you terribly. When you don't argue, people are going to get angry. And be quick to say, Lord, forgive them. Expect and do not be surprised when people mock you. They did it to Jesus, and he did not do anything wrong. All he did was love. So as we go out from here today, and if you are treated in a mean way, Can you say in your heart, Lord, forgive them? They do not know what they're doing. You do. Those of you who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know how to act. You know how to pick up that cross. You know what God is expecting of you. Don't expect the world to know these things. I'd like to close with this story. I was in prison. I teach in prison over in Concord. And um, one of the men said to me, he was out there, one of the prisoners. He said, Pastor. I said, yes, sir. His name was Manny. He says, uh, look, it's nice that you're talking about the love of God. It's nice that, you know, you have this, this father image. He said, but let me tell you about my dad. My dad beat me. Continually, every day after school, I would look, I would know that when I got home from school, my dad would beat me. He didn't do anything but beat me and my mom. And he would beat my mom into unconsciousness. He says, That's the father I have. What would you say to me? Because you're talking about this loving God, this loving father. And And I prayed. I didn't know what to say to him. I had a good dad growing up. And the Lord, I prayed real quickly. I have a, a prayer that I call my 911 prayer, you know, dial 911. And I said, Lord, this is one of those prayers. I have no idea what I'm going to say to him. And the Lord said, Walter, keep your lips closed. And I sat there in this room filled with inmates and prisoners all looking to me for an answer from this gentleman, Manny. And it was the most uncomfortable 10 seconds, 20 seconds, whatever. And they're looking at me. And the Lord's saying, Walt, don't say anything. 
And then he opens his mouth again, Manny. And he says, you know, I, I, I tried Jesus, and, you know, um, you're, I, I asked Jesus for help, and, and he never came through for me. And I said, Lord, what do I say? And the Lord said, Walter, keep quiet. Don't say a word. And I was very uncomfortable. And all these eyes are looking at me. And then he said again, yeah, I tried you, Jesus. He never did nothing for me. But Satan has helped me out. Satan gives me the, gives me the bling. Satan has helped me out with, you know, when I needed a car. Satan has always been there for me. But you're Jesus. He doesn't do anything for me. And I felt like saying to Manny, look where you are now in prison. So much for you, Satan. But I didn't. I said, Lord, I have no idea what to say. And the Lord said, keep quiet. And then way in the back of the room, one of the inmates said, I opened up first and I said, so what does the Bible say about this? And way in the back of the room, one of the inmates said, follow me. And then the Lord said, speak. And I said, you know, Manny, we treat Jesus like a good luck charm. We think that Jesus is, is this little figurine that we can just pull out of our pocket. We put it on the table and say, hey, Jesus, do this for me. And if you do this for me, then I will believe in you and I will go to church on Sunday. Hey, Jesus, I need this. Hey, Jesus. And, and guess what? Jesus didn't work for you. You brush him off the table. But the Bible says, follow me. It doesn't say Jesus is our good luck charm. It says, follow me. We are called to a life of following Jesus Christ, him as our leader. So as we go out from here today, just remember and ask God how I can worship you today with my life, with my hands, like we sang in that song, with my hands, my eyes, my feet of Jesus Christ here in a very hurting world. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We ask, Lord, that um, we might go out from here and be the witnesses that we're called to be. You told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so, Lord, use our feet today to walk, our hands to serve, our eyes to see the needs, our ears to listen. Help us, Lord, to be the witnesses you've called us to be. And forgive those who have struck out against us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.